Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Reading Lens with Nick Lindsay. Hey, Small Group Network. Welcome back to another episode of Reading Lens. We're so glad that you've chosen the time to hang out with us. I'm Nick Lindsay, and it's an honor to be your host. If you're with us for the first time, welcome. We're so excited you've joined us. Here's how Reading Lens works. Each month, I have a guest who is also a Small Group Point person to share with you insights from books we are reading and what takeaways we were able to get from them, how we incorporate them into our lives, leaderships, and our small groups. Through the Small Group Network, I've been able to meet so many great people. And some hacks as well. You know, some great people, <laughs> some jerks like me. But anyway, go on, go on, go on. Through the Small Group Network, I've been able to meet so many great people, whether that's in my local huddle or one of our events, Align, Accelerate, or the Lobby, which is where I met today's guest, Tommy Carreras. Hey there. Hey, we're so glad that you're here with us. And Glad uh, to be here. Yeah, Tommy is the group's director at Mission Vieira in Ventura, California. Tommy, is that the only thing you do? Just a groups guy? No. Uh, Never I, just a groups I guy. Think, I don't think there is a just a groups person no. in the groups world. Uh, no, I do other things like the connection process to, you know, it, it's a while for somebody to get there. And so a lot of assimilation stuff. Uh, I just recently sort of absorbed our pastoral care oh, wow. arm of things. And we also are beefing that up in a lot of ways that I'm super excited about. Um, yeah. Actually align with a lot of the things we're going to talk about today. Probably a whole other podcast. But kind of all that stuff. And then I lead worship. Yeah, it just, I don't think I've gotten to share this on a previous episode. I have multiple roles too. So I'm, I'm the, mainly the, the groups guy at, at Hoboken Grace here in Hoboken, New Jersey. But I also, I, I come from a career in uh, finance. So I used to work for JP Morgan. And so I also do our, our books and manage our finances at Hoboken Grace. Yeah, people so you can tell I have a, I'm a very analytical <laughs> kind of guy. And we actually made like an interesting adjustment with ours in that like, I don't really have any of the care side, which is good because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. empathy is not my strength, unfortunately. <laughs> I know. So, but we have a guy that's just phenomenal at that. And uh, I should have him on a future episode because he's he's fascinating. That would be awesome. Yeah, people and budgets, they don't, uh, they don't <laughs> inherently go together, but you make it work. And I love that about you. <laughs> One of my other things that I just really enjoy about Tommy, and it's going to come out in this, is Tommy, Tommy loves bringing bold I- ideas. So Tommy and I have been going to the lobby, I think, for probably like three or four consecutive years. And it's one of those things where we get around the fire at night and just let Tommy bring us these crazy ideas. Not necessarily crazy, just bold ideas. Honestly, they're the things that are stressing me out. But the only way they don't stress me out is if I talk about them endlessly with other people that will go on the journey with me a little bit. And that's honestly why I love the lobby is because there's a little bit of like great, helpful new stuff, Mm -hmm. but mostly just space to work out some of these things that are keeping me up at night. (laughs) And I love that. So one of the things uh, with Reading Lens is that I love finding the great guests and then I let them choose the book. So Tommy, why don't you walk us through what book you chose for us today? Yeah, this was uh, literally an Amazon recommendation. So... Thanks, big brother. But uh, (laughs) this book is called Tribe. um, And it's by a guy who wartime journalist, anthropologist, and right off the bat, that's like, that's exciting because you're yes. different than me. <laughs> you're very different. Uh, not a Christian book, but what I what I've loved about it was that it seemed like he was one of those guys. This is just right off the bat, literally from reading the you know the back cover. It seemed like he was one of those guys that looked and observed so well at this world that God has made that he was 
uncovering the truth of how God made the world just by looking carefully enough. And I think that's so helpful because it it takes from a different angle the things that we sometimes take for granted to be true, or we say like, yeah. well, the Bible said it's true. And so it's true about how we're wired, how we're made. And, and I love this guy because he's like, well, it's just true because have you looked at the world? Of course it's this way. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And I, it just seemed so interesting. And one, and, and you mentioned this, Nick, before we were talking, even we were going to do a different book. We were, we we're going to yeah. do talking to strangers, which I Glad, highly recommend. Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. yeah, it's a great book. Really interesting. But if you've ever read one of his books, he just, he takes you on a weird journey. So he's like, well, here are 12 ideas <laughs> that aren't related but on the last page, I'll show you how related they are. And I think that's just really fun. And this one is the same way. It's four yeah. chapters. Yeah. Uh, and he basically, to write the book, was like, you know, there are four things that I don't understand. I think there might be a common thread. And he wrote yeah. a book about it. And it's and they're very clear as <laughs> a common thread. It's amazing. Uh, and so that's why I picked it. Yeah, what's funny is one thing you did, what you didn't mention is that the subtitle for this book is on homecoming and belonging. And that's the that's thing that really <laughs> when when you told me, hey, let's read this book, Tribe, I looked it up on Amazon. And I'll be honest, like just hearing Tribe, I was like, all right, what what's what's this uh -oh. gonna be on? But then I saw the homecoming and belonging, and I was like, Oh, that sounds phenomenal. Our like um the vision statement kind of thing or not the vision statement mm -hmm. what's like the uh kind of like what our people do our group leaders is no, they yeah, help people yeah, yeah. belong so that's that's yeah. what we use here at hope and grace is help people belong right. and so when i saw that i was like all right i'm in get the book and you know i, I want to share this for those who've been who've been loyally following along on reading lens so that, so that you, you know my experience here so i opened the book and the first thing is on uh native americans and it's written by this war journalist and i just had like this laugh because two episodes ago, I had Steve Kern and we did a military book called Extreme Ownership, which mm -hmm. is one mm -hmm. of the best leadership books I've, I've ever read. And then Seriously. on the last episode, I had it on Kristen Telzero and we read a book called Canoeing the Mountain, which is a leadership book about Lewis and Clark. And so it naturally features a lot of Native mm -hmm. Americans. So you have to imagine myself opening <laughs> this up and it's just like, here's the last two podcasts combined. People are going to think that this is like a war and Native Americans. It's uh, like kind of the podcast. end of the trilogy or something. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. So. Um, no, I, I think that's so true. The homecoming and belonging thing, uh, it, it was perfect because yeah. that's literally what we're trying to do. And, and somebody that's that much smarter than me, I'm like, I need to know what you're observing <laughs> about this. Because also, if you're, you're not a Christian, this is not obvious to you that like, we, we can tell, right? At least the scripture says, this is how you're built and you need this desperately, yeah. but he doesn't have that. And so I'm like, if you no. figured it out, you're going to have some really good information that I need. Yeah. And I, I love that. Well, I also think that we have a big bias in here as well, because we're community guys. And so right. yeah, his yeah, yeah. answer to a lot of this is we need communities dying. We need to bring it back. I don't even mm -hmm. know that the rest of the people we work with in our staffs necessarily understand that's, that. Uh, that's a scary point that yeah. I don't know if you should bring up, <laughs> but you need to No, That's so true. Cause yeah. I think that's, it's something we either take for granted or we just like kind of suffer in silence a lot of times, which is why it's yeah. good for us types to get together to go. Is anybody else like experiencing this thing where you're the only one that's maybe uh, flying yeah. this flag <laughs> of yep. we need deeper commune, richer community. And it's like, yeah, you're not the only one, man. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Really helpful. 
So it's four chapters around a theme. Could you share with the audience like what that theme is or what the thesis to this book is? Yeah, well, the, it's it's a good title because the theme is tribe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and what I love about it is, is it is that simple. And the interesting thing, so one of the ways that I was preparing for this conversation also was I listened to uh, Sebastian Younger talk to Joe Rogan on his mm-hmm. podcast because he's also the ultimate podcaster. So I'm yeah. like, I, I should just see what he had to say there. Uh, and it was right after he wrote the book and all this. And it was interesting because the first question Joe Rogan asked was like, okay, so tribe, uh, were you worried that everybody would throw it out as some political, like bad, scary tribes are bad. We don't want to tribalize. We want to be unified. And he was like, whoa, 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 yeah, this is not what that is. Like we were Mm -hmm. built for tribes and that's the idea. Um, And he doesn't say it in these words specifically. So I'll just add the intention of God into what he says, but we were designed to function together and be necessary parts of something that he said in that podcast even was community with consequences. This part where I I know, right. He said it and I was like, Whoa, (laughs) I'm going to take that. Uh, but that's the whole idea. Like if I'm not a necessary part of a tight knit community with a purpose, I will die. And that's Mm -hmm. his whole idea even is like how we got to here is by being those necessary parts of small communities that were literally fighting for survival. The rest of human history besides like the last five minutes has been fighting against the world that's trying to kill us. And the only way to do that, the only way to survive is together. And his anthropological thing is looking at the world now and going, why are suicide rates going up? Yeah. Why are PTSD rates going up, even though fewer soldiers are in combat? Mm-hmm. Why are PTSD rates going up and lasting longer? Um, why did uh, this is one of the things I love? One of the big questions he's asking, one of the chapters, like, why did all of the English colonists in America, not all of them, but why did yeah. so many of them run to the tribes, the American Indian tribes and not mm-hmm. come back and get captured by the brutal, like very brutal existence of these tribes? Why did they stay when given the opportunity to come back? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question <laughs> without a clear answer. And so he just, he doesn't even have a thesis like this is what you need to do. Yeah. He's really just saying, this is something you need to know. And yeah. it, there, there's something afoot. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a problem happening. Yeah. In, in my opinion too, like his, his thesis is all around that. What we don't see is that community is a resource that's dying. It's a, yeah. It, it, mm, and yeah. that we, we don't necessarily see it. So, I mean, it's, it's in a sense, it's like the carbon monoxide, you know, you don't, you don't see it, but it, it can kill you. Right. Mm, right. Right, and so I think that's that's a big part of you know his inf- inspiration for this book is uh, we we shared he's a wartime journalist he was with a military group in East Afghanistan and uh-huh. East Afghanistan conditions aren't great there's uh, no TV there's no there's no women um, so these guys are alone out there just uh, as this this crew and they got deployed back to Italy and they, he was talking with the guys and all of them wanted to go back to this deserted area in East Afghanistan, as opposed to returning home. And it just seemed so countercultural. Like, you know, he gets into like what he ends up discovering is that like, there's this, this sense of common purpose and, and just having, having a purpose for life meant Mm -hmm. so much to these guys that, 
when they came home, it's just really challenging for them to come back into this modern society because modern society has allowed things to be safe and has allowed things to be individualized. And right. uh, part of his argument in this is that some of this stuff, some of the stuff is, is hurting us in the long run. Yeah. So. And it wasn't even too. what I thought was so interesting about it is it wasn't the big grand purpose of mm-hmm. like, I'm fighting terrorism. Yeah. No, it's not that. It's like, if I don't perform today, if I don't behave correctly, and that's interesting. He has a lot of stuff about like, being judged by your behavior in a good way. Like we want to be yeah. judged by our good behavior. And I, that's challenging for people uh, of grace. <laughs> it's like, we got to cope with that a little bit. What does that mean exactly? What are you trying to say? But he's saying like, if I don't show up, if I don't perform, if I'm not the necessary part of my unit, my small unit of people I love and will die for yeah, gladly, if I don't do that, then Jeff dies. Yeah. And those consequences are a lot different than like, if I don't perform today, terrorism takes a small step forward yeah. on the grand scheme of the universe. That's not actually, cause I can still, I can, the, the question is like, if, if that's the big goal, if that's the consequence, if that's the meaning and purpose, cause we talk about purpose a lot as Christians, we're like, oh, you yeah. have meaning, you have purpose, you have a mission, but the mission is always so big. It's so grand save all the people. Cool. Yeah. So I'm going to watch Netflix tonight. Cause I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. And the, it, it's so big. And the thing is, it's like, well, if, if you were just fighting terrorism as a soldier, yeah. then you should be able to come home and fight terrorism in a new way or solve poverty or do something grand. But the point is it's, it's too big. And we were, maybe this world has gotten too big for our little human souls and minds, because I need to know that if I don't show up, so-and-so is not going to make it. And, mm-hmm. and maybe that's a little drastic, but yeah, but there's something about the closeness of the, the, the consequences that really makes a difference. And that's what stood out to me the most about all of the soldier stuff. It's like, it has to be my immediate community where those consequences live. Yeah. Uh, and that's fascinating. Yeah. And I, I don't, so it's funny. You said you mentioned to that that other podcast to to hear him talk some more. I listened to two. I listened to the one on Joe Rogan. There's another really good one on YouTube that's uh, uh, Google Talks or Talks at Google. I think is what I they're called. I started that one this morning. Yeah, which is funny. And <laughs> um, one of the things he was talking in there too that I don't remember being captured in the book, but he was talking about how you know we were designed to really only be in community with about thirty other people, like small kind of oh, village, yeah. uh, and that eerily lined up with another book I finished earlier this year called uh, get your life back by John Eldridge. And oh. he has that same concept, which is, which is that he thinks that's the reason why we can't handle social media because our, our souls are only meant to handle the size of a village. And so when we have mm-hmm. these thousands of friends, we're actually introducing trauma and all these other things that we weren't exposed to experience. So an example of right. this is, you know, the, the Beirut explosion that happens, you know, halfway across the world, like we found out within seconds and we're seeing these right. really graphic images right away that like, uh-huh. if you think like rewind even 50 years ago, how long that would have taken for us to learn that news right. um, and experience that. And, and then, um, so it's interesting how those kind of ideas align as well of just like our souls weren't intentioned to be, to have this many people have influence into it. Right. Well, and the interesting thing about that too, you think about some of the reasons he talks about the American Indian tribes, what was so compelling to the the English colonists. And some of the things that were so compelling was that first of all, they actually worked less. 
they, you know, most American Indian tribes, hunter gatherer tribes were like four hours of survival work. Yeah. And it's tough work, but it just didn't work as much. Um, but because of the nature of the tribe, because of the size and because it wasn't like, if you don't listen or follow the rules, you go to jail, right? It wasn't that it was like, if you don't like it, just leave, go get a new one. And that was okay. So there was, it was a looser order kind of, but then also it was what that caused because they were hunter gatherers and nomadic. It was, uh, it was more egalitarian, right? There was, it was impossible to just pass down wealth. Um, Mm -hmm. it was whatever I have now. And so there were, there was much lower wealth inequality. And then also everything was like, the unit was the most important thing. And I think that can go too far, right? We can't be totally collectivist. Yes. And we can't be totally individualist. There's a beautiful balance, but we've, we were, we're probably a little too far on the, yeah. on the individualist, but it's interesting because this idea, like the wealth inequality is lower and it was almost impossible to abuse power. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, but those things, like if you look at social media and just the nature of the world, I know that Jeff Bezos has more money than I can actually even grasp. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't know that because if I look at my neighbors, one house next to me, they rent and they probably have a little bit less than me. The other house, and we're in SoCal and everybody's broke. You're in Jersey. Everybody's <laughs> actually kind of broke. Yeah. But uh, we're all in ministry. So, you know, if you're the yeah, rich man, uh, yeah. we're all going to have you on the next podcast. The <laughs> <laughs> guy next to me, is a little bit broker than me and the house next to me on the other side, definitely like the random nicest house on the block. It's so random. Um, but I can deal with that level of inequality really easily because it's like, we can pass it around if we need to. And my friends, I can deal with our levels of inequality, but with social media, I know all the celebrities whose net worth is a hundred million dollars. And that's hard to deal with. It's confusing because I'm not meant to deal with that many other people's lives. And so that size, that like unit of 30, 50, 70, 100, yeah. and that's what this whole book hits at. Yeah. I don't have to have everybody know me completely, but I do need to know that it's that like why most churches in America are like, how many? 75 people. It's because yeah. it's a sweet spot. Yeah. And I'm not saying that all of our churches should just divide into <laughs> 75 persons. I don't mean that. Yeah. But we need to, I, I've been grappling with like, how do I create those feelings? Is it all the people in groups? Is it multiple yeah. groups? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't know exactly methodologically, but there's something about that size that matters a lot. Yeah. How, how has this book influenced your ministry? How does this help you think about it? Interestingly enough, the main place that started to influence me was like, am I, and I've been thinking this for a while and this just accelerated it. Am I the prophetic voice speaking out counterculturally against what is anti-human? Because if I'm pro Jesus, that means I'm pro human Mm. because he created us in a specific way. And there are ways that we can destroy ourselves and others. And there are some personal ways we can do that. And we focus on those a lot, but man, there's some cultural ways we can do that. And, and those are really bad. And something I heard recently, especially in this election season, I know I said the E word, I'm sorry, but (laughs) in this election season, it's been really interesting because some of the most important things I've heard, Oh, it was Andy Stanley. Oh, Andy Stanley always says it. I shouldn't have said that. I thought this (laughs) up. It was definitely me. Um, Andy Stanley said, when we're at our best, we are a prophetic voice that speaks out against 
all things that are anti-human. And we refuse to align with anything except what is true. And that means we're always being the moral compass. We are fighting to be the moral compass of, of the world. And, and this is really interesting because this actually helps us do that. And when we have the information, when we trust the experts that are looking at the world better than anybody, this guy I found out doesn't even have a, a, a smartphone. He still uses a flip phone. He's like, I don't see what benefit I would get from that. (laughs) I go out into the world and you know where I want to be? Out in the world. When we care enough about learning why the problem is bigger than we thought, we can actually then have some of the confidence and the competency to speak out against things that are ruining the human experience. It's speaking out against the things that are clearly hurting us. And that is something that God does <laughs> and that we want to do. And so I want to champion that. And this book has really helped me go like, I need to question things in a deeper way because that'll also help me speak more to the, the heart, the broken heart of the person in the seat, right? That I'm trying to reach and go, I, I don't want to f- do the, the flowery promo. Don't you want some nice friends? Don't you want to grow? Don't you want to like... First of all, what does any of that mean? How about, what if we sometimes just shoot it like, have you ever noticed that we have a deep isolation problem and something's wrong and you know it's wrong? We're trying to combat that on every level. That's like, that's interesting. That even gives us a little bit of a common enemy. We're trying to, we're not trying to like have some nice friends. Like you have some nice friends. None of them are good enough though. And you know that. But -hmm. what we really want to do is learn how to be human again. And what does that mean? That means actually being known by people in a deep way yeah, who who will die in the trenches with you and who will actually go and combat loneliness together. We're trying to destroy isolation inside of our midst. Like we're, we're, we're trying to unite against those things. And so, so this gives me, this book gives me some of the excitement and also the little bit of the expertise, honestly, to speak out against those things. That's the first way it's been influencing me. I I think too, it also really just highlights nothing that Rick Warren didn't teach us 25, 30 years ago (laughs) in that like we all need purpose in life. And Mm. obviously we have the advantage of knowing that that purpose, right? But just really helping understand that like everyone needs a role. Everyone Mm. needs to have a purpose. They, They need to know that they are able to contribute to a community. And I think that's one of the biggest advantages that we have as, you know, small group people in our churches is giving mm-hmm. them this outlet that they actually need in life to help them psychologically and right. and, and mentally and, and everything else that, that comes with it. So, yeah, I, and this is that's a good rabbit trail to go down because I remember we <laughs> talked. Was it this last lobby or was it the last one? It was one of the lobbies ago, um, but we started talking about something that was that was really on my mind a lot, and that I was trying to move kind of my whole ministry toward. I was like, I don't, I don't like the goal of my group's ministry. That's this was a scary place to start. Like, I'm not, in, I'm not jazz about trying to find people better friends, mm. and I know that's like, why do you have this guy on the podcast right now? Um, <laughs> That doesn't sound healthy, but I, I just wasn't excited about it. Cause I also, I saw that like groups weren't staying together. People were just in and out and maybe, and I don't know. And leaders yeah. were just dying being consumers. Because, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it just, it, nothing like nobody was getting what I thought they could get out of it. 
And I realized this is the scary question that I asked myself. And I realized I, I wasn't aiming high enough and that my goal was too low. I don't want to find people better friends. My real goal started to become to make people better friends. All the people, not just yeah. the leaders. But it was the right question to be asking. So I started trying to train group members instead of just train group leaders. Yes. Um, this started, is the concept we talked about this year. How, yeah. how do we train our group members to be good group members? And that concept alone set me on my own rabbit trail. And was just Seriously. like, genius. That was the thing from this. Every I think every lobby or, or small group network uh, event thing always leaves me going home with one one big idea in this past year was mm -hmm. you just challenging on us on, you know, how do you train group members? We, we train coaches to be coaches. We train leaders to be leaders, but we don't train group members to be group members. And right. this whole they're year, the ones that need the most help. Yeah. <laughs> like my, my associate yeah. Sarah and I literally just tackled that. And the way that we did it in ours is that every, every group starts with a, a 10 week group with us. And right, we right. used to have this video that was done by our lead pastor. It was 40 minutes long. And it was mm -hmm. like, why, how we do groups. Right. And nobody watched it. Like, I'm, no sh one. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> but we took that video and we broke it up. And yeah. we added into it elements that taught people, this is how our groups work. This is how it's different. This is how it's not a traditional Bible study because you yeah. need this fellowship. You need the act. Like for us, it's all about the, um, taking steps and, and activating your faith. And, yep. um, our groups have just really solidified and we've gotten better group members. So Tommy, I thank you for the, for bringing this, that idea and stuff like well, that. But thank you for so. going on the journey with me. Cause it's yeah. been stressful because <laughs> it's, it's a lot weirder and it, it, it means I'm never actually hitting my goal. Because yeah. it's a lot higher goal, but it, it's interesting too. Because the the main thing, and and just to put a little more oomph behind that too, because I I'm like I'm so obsessed with that idea still. Um, a little more oomph even is like because if if I only help them follow Jesus right now, yeah, I've missed the mark completely. Because getting them good friends now is yeah. going to help them follow Jesus now. Teaching them how to be good friends helps them follow Jesus for the rest of their lives yeah. and helps the next guy follow Jesus because what's values are more caught than taught. And they're going to spread that around somewhere yeah. else. They're going to change so, the world if they're better friends. That's a sneaky advantage that we have here in Hoboken. So we're across the, we're across the river from Manhattan. And so we have extremely transient community. So we get people for about two to three yeah. years before they move on. And a couple years ago, it hit us like, okay, how do we send these people out? better than yeah. we found them. How do we send them to the we next church? And that attitude yeah. has helped us so much. And I love that like you're kind of picking up on that too of like, I can't just teach them how to be great here and now. I need uh -huh. to teach them uh -huh. so that they can be they can they can go out and help these their their community at large. So, so true. um hey let's let's bring up this other thing. So he taught me a new word. This is gonna be funny. I don't know whether people know <laughs> this word or not, but um modernity is a word that I didn't realize uh, I always thought it was modernity, but it's modernity, <laughs> uh, which is like the concept of becoming more modern and, and things like that. And the only time, so Tommy talked about this earlier of how as societies become safer, as they become mm -hmm. more affluent, suicide rates and depression come up with it. And one of the only, yeah. one of the rare things that goes against this, that's countercultural is when extreme circumstances come about, whether it's through war, yes. whether it's through, um, he used 9-11 to talk about rates in, in um, America. Mm -hmm. And uh, the also, I think it was Bosnia was the other one he talked about. Oh, or Sarajevo. Gosh. 
Seriously. Yeah. Civil war. In, yeah. In Bosnia. And he talked about like these people afterwards wanted to go back to that time where there was the extreme circumstances because yep. they felt more community. They felt more needed. Meanwhile, they're being bombed. They're being taken out of their homes. They're being, you know, or natural disaster yeah. hits them, those kind of things. So the blitz in London was another yeah. example. 30,000 people dead on their own streets in London. Yeah. And people longed for those times. It's like that feels wrong. Have you guys ever experienced that in your own community? Uh, Well, so three, three years ago now we had at the time, it was like quickly overtaken in size, which is interesting. But uh, at the time, the largest wildfire in California history by acreage started in Santa Paula, which is about 15 minutes, uh, 15 minutes away from Ventura. And I remember going to sleep at 1030 that night and hearing that there was a ball brush fire that started in Santa Paula was like, I'm going to make sure to check in on that tomorrow. And then it turned out a lot of things happened overnight. I fell asleep like literally 10 minutes before my executive pastor texts everybody and says, by the way, we're opening up as a shelter. I'll be there all night, blah, 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 this whole thing. I wake up at 530 randomly and I look at my phone and my city's Ventura is on fire. Mm. And I wake up and my city's on fire. And I'm like, uh, I call Jim. He's like, yep, been here all night. Got people <laughs> sleeping in the building. And I look outside and uh, beautiful thing about SoCal is it's really common that, you know, I can like smell the beach from where I live, but then also see the mountains. This it's awesome. Except when the mountains are orange. You wake up at 5.30 in the morning, the mountains are orange, and it's like, this is really bad. Yeah. Uh, thousand homes were destroyed. Friends of mine lost their homes, lost everything they had, all yeah. of these things, right? So just like intense trauma. Only only two people died. is is amazing. But a thousand homes, it was a full yeah. week. So, so much property gone. We, I, I like literally, I wake my wife up uh, and I'm like, I uh, gotta go. <laughs> I'm going to work, and she's like, "What's happening? Well, the city's on fire." So I'll see you in a week, I guess. Like I just didn't know, and so I pick up water. We we get to the building. We end up every day, every minute. We're changing the plan. We're by the end of the week, we had been a shelter, a distribution center. We had mm-hmm. our whole building full of stuff three times over because stuff would leave. We had a thousand families come through to pick up things that they needed in the moment because all their stuff was gone. It was all donated. We like, it was insanity. Um, we got money from every church that we were at all connected to and anywhere, even the other churches yeah. in the city were like, we'll be the fund. We're handing out money to other churches to give to yeah. their people. It was like insane. The crazier part, is that we had over, and at the time we're a church of 800 maybe on the weekend. We had over 2,500 people in five days come through as volunteers. Jeez, that's incredible. And so our building, it was anybody, people would show up and be like, we heard you're the place that's doing stuff. Yeah. And so what do I do? And they did anything, man. They did the most menial, frustrating work. Mm-hmm. And for and so single complaint. long. <laughs> Everybody was thankful. It was like yeah. they walked in and it was like, put me to work. I'll do anything. It's hard work. You got to wear a mask. Literally, you can't see. There's smoke in the air. And everybody was like, thank you so much for doing something. I don't know what I would have done if I was sitting at home. Yeah. This idea that crisis is is so mm-hmm. important to bringing communities together, that's yeah. confusing because I don't think we should probably start crises. <laughs> or trash yeah. yeah, so but they're really good for us. So I don't know yeah, what to do about I'll that. I'll keep this quick. We went through the same thing at Hoboken Grace. We, I lived here during Hurricane Sandy. We took on six feet of water. It completely yeah. took out our town. It's crazy. Just 
had to you know once the flooding subsided just taking everything out and like you know you usually think of flooding you think of it along river obviously we're along a river right but um usually don't think of it in high populated areas and so um you know we really rallied around that and it was huge for our our community and and opened up so many doors in our community that was such a great opportunity and, and brought our staff together but yeah, there's a quote from this from the book about a psychological study. I'm going to read this real quick. It says, "When people are actively engaged in a cause, um, their lives have more purpose, with resulting improvement in mental health." Um, and this is from the Journal of Psychomatic Research in 1971. It said, "But it would be irresponsible to suggest that violence as a means of improving <laughs> mental health." But the study suggests that people feel better psychologically if they have more involvement in their community. Make sense of that. Okay, so then the question that we have to ask ourselves, you know, as the group guys, we we can't root to have natural disasters or these emergencies or be irresponsible, create war, (laughs) right? So what what can we do to build stronger bonds in our community when there's not an extreme event that's going on? Well, I I think it's interesting because Ephesians gives it to us already, right? Like our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Yeah. And sometimes we stop and it's like, okay, don't fight each other. Remember the bad people aren't the enemy. We got to love them anyway. But no, no, it keeps going your struggle is against the rulers, the authorities and the powers of this dark world. So Ephesians gives us this answer because the, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against Mm -hmm. the people. The people aren't our enemies, but there is a struggle and it's against the rulers, against the authorities and the powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like there's a real enemy and the enemy is destroying people. Mm -hmm. And if we're not rallying against that, I, like we're going to crumble. I, it's, it's interesting. And, and this is, ooh, this is a big topic, but this is good. This is why it's so clear. If our church is not tipped always and, and, uh, and I guess leaned over toward like rooting out hopelessness in our community, finding the lost one, right? Yeah. There's more rejoicing in heaven when the lost one comes home than when the 99 stay home. If my church isn't, and if I'm not personally more geared toward going, no, I got to push myself out. I got to push myself to find the lost one. I got to push myself to reach my hopeless and broken friends. I have to push myself out toward evangelism. If we're not leaning in that direction, always like our church will crumble, not Mm. because we didn't pay enough attention to the inside. And yes, we have to pay enough and build up the inside. But it's actually the looking outside. It's actually uniting against the common enemy of hopelessness and against the common enemy of the fact that people that God loves are lost and broken and hurting each other and hurting themselves. If I don't, if I'm not stressed about that and if I'm not really focused on destroying that enemy (laughs) of hopelessness, I don't think my church is going to make it. It's not if I don't focus on my church enough. And so I think that's fascinating. Like we have to, rally the forces against a common enemy if we're going to make it. And we have one, we have a lot. And that comes back to the countercultural voice, right? Like we need to root out things that are anti-human, like uh, addictions and, and the inability to change and people being mm-hmm. consumers only. Like there's yeah, and fascinating this stuff in this. Growing and growing amount of loneliness, right? Yeah. That's something we can unite against. Another quote from the book that just says, humans don't mind hardships. In fact, they thrive on it. Right. What they mind is not feeling necessary. Modern society yeah. has perfected oh, so the good. art of making people feel necessary. And so I think good. like this is where our group's opportunities are, helping them find yeah. a purpose. And I think a lot of it is that like 
we're so focused on ourselves. And I think one of the things that groups can really help with is helping them turn that that vision around to, to see others. And usually they're going to see it within their own groups. Um, I think as yeah. group directors, we've probably each dealt with several groups that had a problem with someone who just came and spilled and then leaves and doesn't actually understand yeah. the concept that like, no, we're in this for everyone else. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that helps, I actually got this idea from just being around Steve Gladen, who's our, our founder of small group network, but in his book, small groups with purpose, a must for any small group director is just that like figuring out what's your group's weakness. So we want to be balanced, obviously, in those purposes that that they they use. And I think one of them that would be really helpful in this is I knowing what purpose your group is weak in and spending time in that. And obviously, maybe that's evangelism, right? Or uh, sharing, sharing their faith with others. If you're able to challenge your group, in that area, it's right. going to be hard for them, but they have each other. And then that's really going to help bring them together. Challenging yourself to get outside that comfort zone is so important at, at building community and fighting loneliness. So Yeah. Well, it's just the reality is uh, it's very clear that like Jesus's glory came from suffering. Yeah. And so the path to glory is always through suffering. And so as leaders, I need to be in touch with my own suffering. I need to be in touch yeah. with my own brokenness and my own weak places because that's where my strength comes from too. Like, Second Corinthians 12, my strength is only found when it's not mine, when it's his, and it's only found in my weakness. And so yeah. if I'm reveling in my strengths as a leader, that's interesting when you think about leadership development, we're not just trying to make stronger leaders. Uh, this is a little, little weird sounding, but like we're trying to actually make weaker leaders. <laughs> uh, probably more humble leaders. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, but I like, think that's what you're looking for. That... <laughs> It probably takes a little more thought in advance. Uh, I'm thinking as I go here, but uh, it, it makes sense that we're not trying to just give our, our leaders better skills and our yes. people better skills. We're trying to de- create dependence by actually pushing them toward their weak places. Yeah. And if we really want to get granular, that means I have to be always pushing toward my weak places. If I'm mm. not in touch with the plate, like the bleeding edge of my own suffering and my own incompetence or sin or temptation or whatever those things are. If I'm not in touch with those, why in the world would I expect my leaders to be? And why would I expect a group to gel? Honestly, and I'm not saying like massive codependence, like, well, if I'm not okay, then nobody else will be okay. That's not what I mean. But it does mean if I want to lead by example, it means I'm very humble and also leaning into my weakness and suffering. Uh, And that, that, I'm talking to myself right now. So <laughs> awesome. I think that's a really important place to start. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to start to wind this down. Listen, I really encourage you guys to pick up this book. It's, it's only 175 pages. There's like several topics that we haven't hit that are just really fascinating stories. There's one in there that we're not going to talk about. That's about this fight between um, French and Moroccans that is excellent at talking about like conflict mm-hmm. resolution that is really important as, as group leaders. And I'm sorry, we're not going to get to it, uh, but, but it's so good. The conflict resolution thing. Um, that's going to be my enticing to get you guys there. So, Hey, let's dive into our little lightning round. Tommy, sure. same questions we have every, every podcast, but so what's another book you've read recently that's had an impact on your leadership? Yeah. Uh, honestly, probably the most, uh, challenging and helpful book. And this is just a journey we're going on as a church and as a, as a ministry, we're, we're trying to build out a whole kind of new arm called the care Academy at mission. That'll be a next cool thing we talk about for something. At the lobby. <laughs> no, uh, we don't do that, but, uh, it's, it stands for care, which is caring. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, there's a there's a guy at Mission who he's, he's been around for about five years, but for 50 years, he and his wife have been working in the re, the recovery world. Uh, it's recovery from everything. So they built a curriculum and a program and a process and a whole organization. They train counselors. They have something called change groups, which are uh, there's. I'm excited to talk about this with you at some point because it's crazy. They're phenomenal. He's one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. And he's just like sitting in our lap right here at Mission. So it's like awesome. His name is Michael Dye, created this Genesis process. So he has a book called The Church, Helping or Hurting, A Guide to Practical mm-hmm. Christianity. One of his main ideas is um, we need to be full of grace, but also competency. Yeah. The local church has to be full of grace and a competency effectiveness. We have to like real hope comes when somebody looks at you and says, I accept you as you are, but I also know how you can change. And not just like, I know that Jesus will change you, but like, I know what's wrong in your brain. He's a neuroscientist and also an addiction counselor. And he built this recovery program. um, And it is phenomenal. You could actually, we just did a seven part workshop on it. We tried (laughs) to distill his seven part and it was distilled down. It was like 20% of what he wanted to do. It's all at missionmentor.com slash change workshop. It's phenomenal. That's a lot of his stuff. We just made it all free and really easy accessible because it's the name again what was the the book is called the church helping or hurting it's Ah. really thick it's really long but also you could read a page and basically stew on it for a week he's the king i highly encourage it okay what's one book you're looking forward to well two books i'm looking forward to one (laughs) Uh, yeah don't do that i uh one book is called unhindered it's aligning the story of your heart it's by two phd counselors that run a phenomenal ministry that i may or may not have benefited from personally um uh, called the blessing ranch in florida uh it's literally a week of intensive counseling for pastors and they have up to four individuals or couples at a time only. They have just the two of them. It's uh, Charity and John. And they, uh, you, you're in like four or five hours of counseling a day. And it's a little intense. But they wrote a book with all of their stuff called Unhindered. And it is like if, you, <laughs> if you're you hurting or mm-hmm. like feel misaligned in your own self, um, it, it's interesting how much the Genesis process and their stuff goes together. It's very similar. Um, but it is so good and it will bring so much clarity and yeah. refreshment to your soul. I promise. Uh, Man. At least she brought it for my wife and I, but, uh, also the book, I would imagine I haven't read it yet. Cause I just got it in the mail, but, yeah. uh, I would imagine it would do the same thing. Tommy, a, a pleasure as always. I'm Nick Lindsay. And I want to thank you guys for listening to us. Thanks Tommy for sharing your experiences. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. Reading lens is going to be back next month with Aaron Burton from Downtown Community Church in Jersey City, New Jersey. So I'm bringing my local flair into this. Um, We're going to be covering the book, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a Loud World. I'm super excited to get into this. As you heard at the very start of the podcast, if you've listened the whole way through, I'm an extreme extrovert. So this is going to be good for me to go through a book and learn about the other side. Um, So if you want to read along with us, you can get a head start. Remember, leaders are readers. Take care, everyone. Hey, Small Group Network family, Jason Banzoff here, Group Talk producer and Small Group Network creative arts director. On behalf of the Small Group Network, we want to say happy Thanksgiving to you, and also thank you for tuning into this great episode of Reading Lens, and thank you to Nick Lindsay and Tommy Carreras for that great episode. Now, before we go, we want to talk about something new and exciting. 
We are excited to announce our brand new online training course, Kids Small Groups, Intentional Discipleship Pathway. Learn the key foundations to launch and lead dynamic kids small groups at your church. This course features five high-definition video sessions, downloadable documents, and lesson discussion questions. Learn more by watching the free course introduction and enroll today at smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash KSG. Again, that's smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash KSG. S-G. And thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website, smallgroupnetwork.com, to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.